from Luke chapter 7. This is two stories of two different centurions. We'll start with the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 7. After he'd finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to him, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with him. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too, a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When, they, when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Now turn to Acts 10, verse 9. And I'm going to skip a chunk here in the middle. We're covering most of Acts 10 here. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance And saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the the men who were sent by Cornelius, another centurion, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. And so the next Chunk talks about arriving and greeting Cornelius and Cornelius explaining his vision. And then so Peter, in verse 34, opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, 
But to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. And Father, we pray that your word would pierce us, that it would both wound us where we need to be wounded and heal us where we need to be healed. Father, we pray that you would quicken our hearts to receive the word and to respond with joyful obedience. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Luke and Acts are written by the same person, by Luke the physician. They're two parts of one work. And the Gospel of Luke gives you a foreshadowing of what Luke will write about in fulfillment in the book of Acts. The Gospel of Luke will highlight these ways that Jesus continues to reach out in the power of the Holy Spirit to people who are otherwise on the margins of society and forgotten. Luke pays special attention to the way that Jesus pay, uh, treats and cares for and ministers to women and to Gentiles and to outcasts. And here in Luke chapter 7 is this story of Jesus encountering this centurion a representative of the Roman government who bears military power. And the centurion comes to Jesus asking for healing. And one commentator, Leon Morris, points out that this is one of two times in all the Gospels when Jesus marvels. It says that Jesus marvels at something. Mark recounts a time where Jesus marvels at the unbelief of the people who are there before him. Luke here gives a time when Jesus marvels at the belief of this centurion. And of all the people who should be full of such remarkable faith, the people do not expect, the reader often would not expect that Jesus would be marveling at a centurion. This is the big bad Roman government who somehow rightly discerns the Messiah of Israel. And Jesus responds to this request in, in another account of this story in Matthew's account. Matthew is, be, is sure to tell you that Jesus says, you know, your servant will be healed. And here Jesus is not saying that. Luke doesn't want to focus on that. He wants to focus on the response of the centurion. So Jesus kind of says, this is amazing, and walks away. But in Matthew's gospel, as the detail that he tells you, Jesus says, your servant is healed. Because Luke wants you to see this remarkable thing the response of the centurion, the remarkable faith of the centurion. Jesus is blown away in the midst of Israel that this foreigner would respond. And then in, in the book of Acts, Luke sort of turns this theme up to its full brightness. And we've seen already how Jesus calls the people to minister in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And round about Acts 10, the book starts to pivot to the ends of the earth. 
And this is the inciting incident of that happening. In Acts chapter 10, the apostles, a collection of Jewish men, are still in the mindset and the mentality that to follow God and even to follow Jesus requires you to be a part of the nation of Israel because that's what God has always been doing. Their assumption is still that this is how it will still work. And yet everything changes. The paradigm is shattered when Peter receives this vision and sees these unclean animals, you're supposed to know that when he, he sees this blanket full of things that Jews do not touch or eat. They don't eat reptiles. They don't eat most birds. Off limits. And he hears a voice that tells him to eat. And he responds, no, I'm a good Jew. I don't do this. I don't take and eat. And then God says this thing. Jesus says this thing. Do not call common or unclean what I have made clean. Peter hears this three times and comes out of this trance. And then there's, boom, there's Cornelius' messenger saying, come to my house. And Peter still doesn't quite connect the dots. And he needs the spirit to say, yo, this is the vision, bro. This is, that was what this is about. And so Peter says, oh yeah, I'm coming to your house. Let, let's go and do this. And you can still tell that Peter doesn't quite know what to expect. Cornelius is what we might call a God-fearer. He's a foreigner who has not gone through conversion to Judaism, but he's very interested in the Jewish God. He probably contributes to it financially. He's in a position of authority to do so. And Peter comes to his house, and he stands up, and he tells the story of Jesus, that, that Jesus was living and crucified and resurrected, and will one day come to judge everyone. And it says that as he's still talking, the Holy Spirit falls. And these Gentiles experience the same thing that the apostles experienced in Acts chapter 2. They start speaking in tongues, exhibiting all the signs of the Spirit coming in power, just as these Jewish believers had. And their paradigm is shattered then goes on in Acts 15, the first council of the church, is the, is the leaders of the church, the apostles, coming together and saying, look, Peter's seen this, goes on, Paul sees this. These Gentiles are not coming in to the people of Israel. They're not being circumcised. They're not following the dietary laws. And the Holy Spirit keeps falling on them. What is this all about? And ultimately, the church gets together and says, it seems to us, this is what God is doing now. And we best get on board. So we don't need to send a note to them telling them this is how you convert to Judaism. Tell them, stay away from idolatry, stay away from sexual immorality, and serve Jesus. And from there, the book of Acts pivots to the, the apostles going to the ends of the earth. That's what the rest of the book of Acts is about. And this is at the heartbeat, the center of God's movement throughout all of Scripture. Because the influence and the effects of sin, as described from the very beginning of Scripture, are cosmic and universal in nature. And what God pledges to Adam and Eve in the moment of their fall in Genesis 13 is that the scope of his redemption will be cosmic and universal in nature. 
Because there is no place that the God of heaven and earth is willing to cede over to the powers of darkness. There are no people that he's willing to cut out of the map and put and say, the devil can have them, sin can have them, the powers of darkness can have them. But instead, what God says is that he will reverse the power of sin. He will undo the breaking of sin everywhere that it is found. And anywhere where there are people, anywhere where there is sin, there too redemption will go. And so all through Scripture, there are these in, inclinations, these are their, these whispers of this movement, not just to Israel, but from Israel to all the nations. The prophets continue to hint towards Israel that the nations will run in. And what Isaiah will tell the people of Israel is, you better stretch out your tent stakes because the nations will come in. And it is not that everybody was meant to call and come and beckon to come to Israel alone, but that Israel was in some sense a priest herself as a nation, as a people, meant to go between God and the rest of humanity, that all of humanity might come hear the news that Israel's God was indeed the God of the whole world. And that all the peoples of the earth were meant to come and find their redemption and their reconciliation and their healing in this God, the God of Israel. And Luke for us traces the, the arc, the trajectory of that going. Jesus in the Gospel of Luke pays special attention to these kinds of people. And it makes sense to see those themes in the Gospel of Luke because Luke is also the writer of Acts. And Luke is standing at the end of the, the book of Acts in the middle of this happening. And he's looking back and saying, wow, you could see this coming now. I don't know if in the moment we could see it when Jesus was doing these things. But now here, standing at the end of the book of Acts, standing in the middle of Paul being in jail for doing this, you can see it happening. The God of Israel was on the move away from Israel to Israel and from Israel to the whole world. And the vision from the book of Acts forward into the New Testament continues along this transnational storyline where Paul will, will, as a Jew who loves his Jewish brothers and sisters, will leave everything that is comfortable to go to every nation that he can get to. You know, the book of the Romans is, is basically with Paul's eye written to Spain. He's not even thinking just of Rome. He's, he's thinking about Spain to get as far out of the edges of the Roman Empire as possible. And Paul will look even beyond there into the future and he'll write in Philippians 2 of the day when everything will be resolved and the consummation of God's plan will come. And he says, Jesus will be revealed and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess this thing that the church is busy proclaiming then, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And one of those same apostles that was in the room for Acts 15, the Apostle John, will receive this long series of visions that is revealing the central truth, this one truth that Jesus actually is the Lord and King that is bringing and, and accomplishing this cosmic redemption. And he'll see a lot of things in the book of Revelation. A lot of things. 
But one of the central things that he will see is this Jesus seated on the throne with everybody from everywhere recognizing who he is. In Revelation chapter 7, he'll describe how the nations will gather around the throne and rightly describe who he is. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The book of Revelation ends with the great city of God, with the throne place of God, moved from heaven far away down to a new created earth, heaven and earth joined together as it was always meant to be, and the nations rush in. God has his eye to the edges of all of his creation so that he might assert his lordship and his kingship and the reconciliation between God and man for everyone, everywhere. When Jesus tells his disciples, go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, he means the ends of the earth. And Scripture is careful to to include the language of all peoples so that you and I don't get confused about what we're talking about so that we can't just throw up maps on the wall and say, let's tick off countries where people have been to preach the gospel. He is saying every language that exists was meant to be used to praise the name of Jesus. So every single people group of which there are thousands within regions, every single people group has a language that was constructed and designed to praise and to worship the name of Jesus. We are not looking at maps and ticking off geopolitical boundaries. We are thinking of every tongue and every tribe because they are all people whom God has always loved and has always said he was going to get. We are not ourselves initiating anything in the world. We are participating in what God is already doing in the world and has been doing for all of our story of humanity. Peter preaches the gospel in Acts chapter 10 to a room full of Gentile pagans. And before he can finish his sermon, the Spirit of God falls. And what I would suggest to you is that you and I are always behind the Holy Spirit. We are always behind the work of God. We think we may be on the leading edge of what God is doing in the world. You may be terrified of where you think God is calling you to be, and yet you get there and you start doing the thing and saying the thing, and before you can even finish, before the words can fall out of your mouth, the Spirit of God shows you that He's already there. 
We are not a people getting out in front of where God is and asking Him to come with us. We are a people who are trying to catch up to Him forever. We are a people who are not saying, man, I really hope God would move in our day. God is moving in our day. Our job is to move with Him. And the truth is, is our legs are not fast enough to keep up with Him. We will spend all of our lives, we will expend all of our energy, and we will find that we have still not sprinted out to the edges of where God is, but have instead lost ourselves, given away our lives, catching up to see the backside of the glory of God. God has called his people to forever and to continually be a going people. And I, I don't know in the particulars of your life where God is calling you, be it Jerusalem and Judea or Samaria or the ends of the earth. I don't know. I don't know. But what I am telling you is that if you love and trust Jesus, you are called to go somewhere. You are called somewhere. And no one is exempt. No one is exempt. No one. You may be sitting here saying, I'm really busy. Yes, agreed. There with you. Your busyness is meant to be an avenue for the God who is going. And there may be a chance that God is calling you to set aside your busyness to take about the business of the kingdom. There is nobody who is excluded because of their age. There is nobody who is excluded because of any kind of barrier that you might imagine. Gender, socioeconomic status, uh, education, you feel your competency does not enable you to go with Jesus, you're wrong. The whole biblical story is telling you again and again, it's all of God's people, all called on mission, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Because this is God's motion through Scripture. He initiates. He goes. He sends Himself. He comes Himself. And the people of God are called to come up and to respond to him. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You, you may feel that you are called to go to the ends of the earth and you don't know how to get there. Let me tell you two things. One, because of the place that you live, the ends of the earth are coming to you in ways that we have never, ever seen before. The, the world's population is displaced and on the move in a way that literally in human history we have never seen before. And guess where a bunch of those people want to come? Right here. The ends of the earth are not waiting for you to come to them. The ends of the earth are coming here. There are people begging to live in your neighborhood. And if you call to the ends of the earth and you're like, I don't know how to raise that money. I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to get a visa. Guess what? You don't need any of that. Find out where those international communities are moving and go there. It's maybe 30 minutes away. 
Charlotte is not that far from here. There are entire communities made up of people from the ends of the earth. We can make it to Charlotte. We can do it. And some of you feel called to the ends of the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue, and you say, it's great that they're coming here, but I need to go there, and I'm afraid. I don't know if I can do it. There is no better place to be than on mission with Jesus. And if there has been some some long active dream in your heart that will not go away, I would tell you this morning that you should not ignore that dream. That place that will not leave you alone you should not leave alone. Everything that you are afraid of is outstripped by the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ. Some of you say, I'm past the days of my going. I've missed my window. And I would say you haven't. But if you don't know how to go, we, have not, we are not just a going people. We are ascending people. If you say, I, my heart burns for this, and for whatever reason I know I cannot or should not go, you are called to be a sending agent. You are called to help somebody else go. And I, w- I would encourage all of our parents to consider and to pray. Am I called? Am I prepared to answer the call to send my own children who are called to go? And if you don't know how to go and you don't know how to send, you are called to give. Not to me, not taking your donations, but there are lots and lots of missionaries who need the giving of God's people to push them out where we ourselves could not go. And that is not, that is not for a, a tax benefit. That is not because it's good for us to give to a 501c3 at the end of the year. That is because this is who we have always been. We have always been a people who said, everything that I have is not all for me. Everything that I have is given to me as a a temporary gift, as a thing of which I am am called to, to to, uh, to steward, and I am called to give those things away. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Money is a good place to start giving away because money likes to sit in your pocket and own you. It's a good thing to give that away. It may be goods. It may be services. But we are called to be a giving people because we are serving a going God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every one of us who follows Jesus is the recipient of the missionary activity of God. And we are called to participate and to go with him for all of our days. None of us ever tapping out, ever 
The way, way it looks might look different for every one of us. And it, it might look like in various levels of productivity, productivity as we go through our lives. And who knows what that looks like in all of our lives. But all of us, every one of us, going with a going God all of our life to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And this morning, I'd like us to think about the ends of the earth. I want us to pray for the ends of the earth. Our brothers and sisters around the world are, are at the edges of the ends of the earth in a lot of ways that, that many of us are not here. And it costs them something in comfort and safety. And that is our family, spiritually, that if you're like me, is often too easily forgotten until some terrible news story comes up to remind us. We are called to go and to send and to give, and we are called to pray. We are called to pray persistently and passionately. And one day soon, <coughs> every nation and tongue would sing what they were made to sing. Would you pray with me now? <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're the God who comes to us and comes after us. <clears throat> I pray, God, that you would be with our brothers and sisters. I pray that you'd be with <clears throat> the missionaries that we support in places, some of which are too dangerous to name, but are places where the gospel is going. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen those people in love for you and love from you. We pray for our family <clears throat> that is in hard places, has suffered deeply because they have heard Peter's message. They have experienced the Holy Spirit falling on them. Life is hard now. We pray that you'd be their comfort and their shield. Father, we pray for the many people who are <clears throat> in places that have never heard the gospel in their own language. I pray, God, that you would send workers, that you would send people, men and women, who might faithfully go with you. Give them all that they need Give them spiritual comfort and strength. Father, I pray for our church that we might be a people who faithfully and obediently respond to your call. 
be it to go ourselves to the ends of the earth, for our children to go to the ends of the earth, to give away what we have for the sake of the mission of God in the world. Father, I pray that you'd make us to be a faithful people who respond to your own faithfulness. We pray that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for your patience. Help us to be a people who who take great delight in leaving everything to follow you. You are worth it, Lord Jesus. So, so worth it. Help us to know it and to believe it down to the marrow of our bones. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.